You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Roy Thomas, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. We are back again with another episode of Conan the Barbarian. This is actually part two of the episode that we started last week, covering the Conan the Barbarian, the original Marvel Years epic collection, The Coming of Conan. This is the first volume. Uh, Kind of a mouthful, but this is covering a period of Conan the Barbarian from 1971 to 1972. In particular, we'll be talking about issues 7 to 13. And I have with me today, back again, Jason Cretton. Hi, Jason. Hello. You ready to talk about more Conan? Always. <laughs> Great. I was just talking about Conan all poor around weekend. Oh, really? Um, what about what in particular were you talking about? Oh, there were uh, the the other podcast I do, the Night of the Comic. The I told you with the main podcast that that's an offshoot of Night of the Living Comic always yep. sets up there. And they were having a Patreon meeting there, and there were a few fans or listeners of the podcast there that wanted to talk Conan with me. Well, that's great. <laughs> Always jump at a chance to talk about Conan, don't you? Uh, yeah, don't have to twist my arm. <laughs> great. Yeah, so oddly enough, uh, I, I mentioned I've worked in a bookstore for quite a long time now, and randomly, just the other day, I discovered uh, sitting on our shelves a copy of the Star of the Slayer miniseries that w- that I was telling you about before. Right. That was uh, published by Marvel Max back in uh, probably like 2005, I think. Uh, written by Daniel Way and written or drawn by Richard Corbin. Oh, that's amazing. That's a, that's a pretty good team. So, yeah. d- have you? Did you read it? I started issue one. I only got to read a little bit of it on my break. Uh, I will always, always promote Richard Corbin artwork. He's yeah. always been one of my all-time favorites. Uh, the story was pretty much the same as that little one we talked about, except for this one was, again, a little bit overly vulgar, which, as I said, uh, doesn't normally ever get me, but when it's that blatant, it is a bit distracting. Vulgar in terms of just, like, uh, the the language and the dialogue? Language, yeah. yeah. Language. This is part of the and, Max uh, dialogue. Series, so. Yeah. You know, and again, I think Marvel really always tried to push the limits when they had that Max line. I, I think it's right. since been gone for a minute now, but this one especially. And again, it doesn't bother me. I watch horror movies all the time. Yeah. You know, watch action movies. But to me, when it, it just seems like they were purposely trying to make it kind of right there. <laughs> Look, kids, the no no limit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stories are basically the same, you know, so far. Yeah. Again, I'm only issue one into a four part. You know, about a uh, an actual writer of pulp novels creating Star the Slayer and then trying to come up with his origin story for one last hurrah. Uh, like I said, I'll finish it, but I was kind of hoping for more in issue one. Right. Well, that's cool that you kind of happened into that. Very, very fortuitous for our podcast yeah. here. <laughs> I did think it odd that it kind of just popped off off the shelf. Yeah. I I wonder if it had just it had been sitting there for a long time and you just only noticed it because we talked about it. It is actually uh, I with where I work we put our dates on our price tags. It's been sitting there for almost 2 years. Oh, wow. There you go. <laughs> Amazing. Just before we start, I want to say that this episode is brought to you by Dying Breed Collectors. If you would like to purchase any Epic Collections and take advantage of some excellent customer service and uh, really great packing and shipping uh, standards, then uh, go over to Dying Breed Collectors and enter Epic Marvel Podcast, all one word, as a promo code for 10% off any Epic Collection that you buy through them. 
Okay, well, why don't we go into our issues here? We are uh, we left off last time at Conan number seven, so that's where we're going to pick up. And this is called The Lurker Within. We have, uh, of course, written by Roy Thomas, who's the regular Conan writer for a long time. Barry Smith, who is uh, a newcomer to the field and has been on every issue of Conan so far and uh, and will be for, for several more issues after this. We mm-hmm. have, though, an embellisher... Uh, two embellishers, actually, um, Adkins and Busema. They're both listed as embell- yep. embellishers. So uh, it's interesting to try and look at the page and guess which guy is doing embellishing. And if you don't know what embellishing means, that's uh, it's more than just inking. See, now I was curious. I didn't. I didn't know what that meant. Okay, so what this means is that Barry Smith is probably doing uh, just breakdowns for this issue, which means he's blocking out the panels and the composition, putting in... Uh, the details so that we know how the characters are posed and stuff, but not going to the extent of like mm. really, really drawing every leaf on the tree and and spotting all the blacks and all that kind of stuff. Gotcha. So the embellishers will come in and instead of just inking, they have a little bit of work to do before they get to inking. They have to kind of fill in some of the gaps. Hmm. And so if you look at the pages, you can see some more artistic um, style differences between the pages. So it looks to me like the first half of this book was done by Adkins because Adkins gets a little bit more in detail with things like um, like the feathering on the muscles, uh, like the shading and such like that. And then yeah. the, the back half is Bisema, who is a lot more streamlined of, a, of an artist or of an inker. So it's um, it looks a little bit more slick hmm. i i can see exactly what you're talking about there you go and so that's that's an interesting note there um and then this one also says freely adapted from the story the god in the bowl have you read that story before which yes i would say that could arguably be my favorite conan story oh really yeah this is uh oh that's hard to it's hard to nail down you <laughs> could say that about any of the stories when right. you first bring them up yeah, which I always was weird with the uh, the title change on why they went with Lurker Within instead of God in the Bowl, which to me grabs you a little bit, bit a bit more. The Lurker Within sounds so much like a Stan Lee title, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it does. Yes, it does. Yeah. Well, in this one, we have uh, Conan saving a woman right at the very beginning here. Um, a woman who is of some sort of wealth and stature and doesn't think too highly about Conan, even though... Uh, he he just saved her life. He saves her life from a pack of wolves. Yeah, but she takes him back to the city that she's from, Numalia. Numalia, yeah, that's right. And uh, and and kind of ropes Conan into doing a little bit of dirty work for her. Uh, he mm-hmm. has to scale um, a tower as he often does. In as these, he does <laughs> in these issues, and uh, and has to steal a bull, and he has no idea what the significance of the bull is or anything like that, but um, ends up getting there and the bull is empty. There, there's a whole bunch of mystery. He's like framed for murder at this point. And, and the whole thing is, seems to be a very convoluted, like who done it kind of a story. But then all yep. of a sudden we're interested, we're, we're introduced to this mask that's hanging on the wall with snakes instead of a hair. And then it, the, and, and the mask is not, actually just a mask it's a head and the head is on a giant serpent and the serpent starts trying to to kill them all and conan has to destroy the serpent it's quite a um it's it's just great i feel like this is pure conan everything from the the damsel in distress the 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 uh breaking in and trying to steal a precious artifact and then having to battle the 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 big monster at the end is like everything you could ask for is in this issue (laughs) yeah now i will say that the the comic book is, I don't know if I want to say significantly different, but there's some definitely some big differences than, than in the original story. The original story literally just starts in the middle uh, of basically the comic. The story starts with Conan already in the tower coming out and finding the dead body. Oh, okay. And most of the story, in fact, I mean, probably 90% of the story is what I would call like a murder mystery. You know, with the uh, chief of uh, the guards showing up with his with his guards, and it's basically like, uh, and they do that in the comic too. But in the story, they really drive home: Did Conan kill this person? Now the reader knows that if he said I didn't kill him, we know he yeah. Conan wouldn't hide. 
and then actually in the story, the snake doesn't really get involved until like the last probably two pages of the story. Uh, all things about like other guards kind of sneaking off looking for other suspects and then mysteriously dying. No one knowing how they could have possibly died and such. Uh, I was trying to remember in the comic, I'm trying to flip through it kind of quickly. In the story, it has some of my all-time favorite Conan dialogue. Oh, you know, yeah. He has some great line of, the next man that lays a hand on me will meet his ancestors in hell. <laughs> yes. Which, yeah, it's like, okay, I'd say that's a pretty worthy threat. You know, uh, he's throwing around these threats, you know, you accuse me of that again and I will, like, bury my sandal in your guts. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, it's great. All right. I love it. It really shows his confidence um, in, in himself as he goes into battle, but also uses that as a tactic to, you know, instill fear on his opponents. Yep. It's great. Uh, this is also a major issue in the comics, at least, where it, it does introduce Set for the first time, mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, a big deal in the comic, in it, not just the comic, but Conan in general. That was the main uh, antagonist in the movies. And then this also references uh, Toth Amun. Right. Which is also a pretty big deal for Conan. One of the closest thing he has to a reoccurring villain also. Right, yeah. And it's just a passing reference. We don't really yep. know anything about this guy yet until uh, we'll find out later. Uh, but great yeah, image cool. of him, though. Yep, it's a great setup. You could say that would be Sal Buscema. I, I think so, yep. And this is also one of the stories that, shockingly, uh, in the original publication, was uh, a Robert E. Howard story that got rejected. And I thought it was one of his original ones, but actually, uh, DeCamp re-edited it and uh, had it republished in the 50s. Oh, okay. Now, can you tell me, is the is the woman that he saves in this story at all in the book? Nope, not at all. Not at all. In the, in the story, it's actually uh, a guy, and it's um, a little bit of like a political uh, twist where the nephew of a governor hires Conan to go in and uh, steal this bowl because, again, there's all this mystery behind it, thinking that it contains all this wealth. And he does play the exact same role as this woman, where he then shows up halfway through and then you know claims that he's never met Conan before in his life. And Conan says, "All right, that's enough of that. You're know, like I would have, I would have protected your name through all kinds of torture, but because you just sold me out, there's no use for you anymore." And just kills the guy. <laughs> nice. Um, I noticed that in this in this issue, there's a lot more dialogue. I feel like there's a lot more dialogue than usual. Um, just yeah. because we have the, there's four people basically in this chamber who are arguing over what Conan has done. Uh, and then, and, and because it's, because it's the, the murder mystery aspect, they all have to talk it out. And so yes. it's pr a pretty wordy story, but yep. it's, uh, but I think Roy does a good job of keeping it, uh, moving along. And then we get to the battle with set, which is like six pages long or something like that yeah it's a huge part of this it's a huge part and that's because this is a visual s storytelling medium and i think that you can have the six pages of battle easier than trying to narrate six pages of battle in a in a prose book very much so, so yeah i think that's why roy leans on that a lot more here and it works it works for the for the sake of the comic, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I would, like I said, for being arguably my favorite Conan story, I'm, I'm happy with this adaptation of it. That's great. The next issue is called The Keepers of the Crypt. Um, we have, uh, here, here's an interesting thing. We have two inkers again. Uh, this time they're not called embellishers, they're just called inkers, but this is Sutton and Palmer, um, and both Toms, Tom Sutton and Tom Palmer. And if you know anything about, especially <laughs> Palmer is that uh, he doesn't just ink, he puts a lot of effort and his own hand into the artwork. Now, I know him from Avengers. Yes, yeah, exactly. And and even though he, it's John Buscema on artwork for Avengers, you can there's a very distinct feel to the way that Palmer inks the stuff. There's a lot of um, kind of more realistic rendering and such. Mm -hmm. And so, if you, again, if you look at these pages, uh, I think you can tell... Uh, the difference between a Tom Sutton page and a Tom Palmer page, because Palmer will be the one who like draws every single link of chain mail on a guy's armor, uh, that kind mm. of thing. <laughs> yeah, all the scales on these giant monsters and on the giant lizard that he fights. Yeah, this... And so you can take yeah take a look at that, and then there's other pages 
like once you get to page toward the end page 18 i feel like that's a little bit more of tom sutton uh this is the one you know i'd have to god i wish i would have noted where it was listed but I, this is the one that has the hidden message in it oh i don't know about that the, tell me that story in one of the backgrounds of uh not to jump too far ahead, but in one of the backgrounds of the city with all of the uh, treasure, there's supposed to be a hidden, I think it's only in the original, I don't think they re- would have reprinted it, that Windsor uh, Smith put, like, uh, why am I drawing all these gold coins or something like that. Uh, what? Really? <laughs> yeah, I'll have to find it and let you know. Yeah, I'm going to have to look that up. That's very interesting. I love it when there's when artists do that kind of thing, hidden messages. Yeah, I think I have the original issue down in my collection. I, I'll have to pull that out and look at it. Um, I think that Palmer really, really enhances the first, it's definitely the first half of this book that's Palmer. I really love the the way that he takes Barry Windsor Smith's artwork and renders it a little bit uh, to be just more realistic. Because I think we talked in the last episode that, uh, or at least I did, I mentioned that I think Windsor Smith at this point can be very uh, loose with his anatomy in a little bit of an mm-hmm. abstract way, but on purpose, kind of like I think how Ditko does that as well, or or even Kirby, those classic guys will play with anatomy and and uh, perspective and and you know musculature in order mm-hmm. to just uh, change the way like how dynamic the character is. But yeah. Palmer will it it feels like he corrects a lot of that. He'll t- in his inking in his his work he'll you know, move the eye placement a little bit so that they're a little bit more normal. And if you go to the back half of this book, these last few pages, especially page, let's say, page uh, 19 of this story, where mm-hmm. you can see, you know, the eyes on the woman in the second panel or the way that the the big guy looks um, in the in the middle tier. Just uh, gotcha. it's yep. not the same sort of uh, realistic. It looks a little bit more uh, like a caricature. Huh. Which yeah, is, you're absolutely we, right. And that's more of, of Barry Windsor Smith's style at this point. Oh, yeah, look at that. I would have never picked that. You're good. You got a good eye for that. Yeah, I love looking at this kind of stuff. It's, it's quite fascinating the influence that an inker has on a page. And I overlooked art. This one based on uh, a story called Hall of the Dead. Uh, pretty direct adaptation. The big difference being in the comic book, uh, again, for continuity's sake. The story opens with a group of guards hunting Conan because of what happened in the last issue, you know, still accusing him of the murder. Yep. Um, in the original story, it's kind of just an open-ended guards are hunting him because he was robbing noblemen. Uh, nothing else major changes except for when, you know, I guess you should say the plot of it is he's seeking uh, this lost city. Uh, of Larsha, I believe it's called. Yep. At least in the original story, it's called Larsha. That's supposed to have a great treasure in it. Inside the city, you know, no one's apparently made it past the city. You know, many have tried, kind of like the Tower of the Elephant type thing. Uh, but of course, Conan will. Uh, in the original story, instead of a giant lizard that's protecting the city, it's actually like a 50-foot slug. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like an actual giant slug, which that's a interesting change maybe a lizard would be a little bit more dynamic than a just a slug uh, also i mean just minor little things uh, the mummies that come to life inside of this uh, great hall have a little bit more dialogue in the comic than they do in the book they don't say anything in the book okay um, and then actually, is this when this is when Jenna shows back up in the comics? That's right. Yeah, I was going to mention that at the very end here. Now, I I love this whole concept of uh, the you know the city is there, but then it disappears. It crumbles to dust, and like even mm-hmm. his jewels and stuff, they're all it's all dust now. So he has no way to prove that he actually actually saw and found. Yeah, what he all did. of this wonderful treasure that they grabbed. Yeah. It's great. And and that's like that's always Conan's fate is that he finds the wealth yep. and then it escapes him at the end for some reason and he never actually gets to benefit from any of his adventures. Yep, but he has the uh, the adventure itself is the treasure. Yeah, action is his reward. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, so we see Jenna at the end. Um she pops up yep. and uh, does she say that she owns this bar that we're in? Is that this story here? Yep. Yeah. When she, she when they last separated, she kind of went to the city and opened this bar. And now she's and being of course, run uh, out of it because of yep, Conan. Of course, Conan messes that up just for basically showing up, honestly. 
Well, yeah, I mean he he has he has that jade snake, mm-hmm. and the jade snake has turned. It hasn't turned to dust. It's turned into a real snake, and it bites the garden and uh, um, and and kills him. And so, or the magistrate, I mean, bites the magistrate, yeah. and then he dies. And so now they're on the run. And this actually sets up for pretty much the rest of this book, the plot for the rest of this book, which is Conan and Jenna on the run together as they go from town to town just trying to to stay alive. And uh, so this is kind of our first real sense of continuity within the Conan universe. Rather than doing the anthology storytelling like they've done so far, we get a nice ongoing story from now on. Yeah, it's again introducing the character of Jenna just to help that continuity a little bit. So moving on over to issue number nine, this one is called The Garden of Fear. And uh, just before we get into the issue, I do want to note that this epic collection has an unused cover for this, which is basically just the same cover, except it's in a different pose. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess maybe, I don't know if the editor wanted to uh, change up a little bit of just the pose, because it didn't have Conan, and it kind of had Conan in a, in a pose where you couldn't see his face as well. But the original cover has like all of the the leaves on the trees and 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 the flowers at the base of this tower, like it's all drawn and all inked. And then he had to do it again. It, and it's not just that he replaced oh. the character. Like, he completely redrew, redrew the entire thing and re-inked it. And it's like, wow, that's uh, that's quite something. Oh, I forgot to also mention that the, the previous issue's cover has Jenna on the front of it. And yes. the face the face of Jenna in that one was redrawn by John Romita. Mm. So the, the Epic Collection also has the original artwork for that uh, cover with the original uh, Barry Windsor Smith face. Yeah, I, I, I said it last time. I need to get this epic collection. <laughs> yeah, there is a ton of bonus material in this one. Yeah. Just a ton. Okay. Garden of Fear yep. uh, was originally written. It's one of those non-Conan stories that Roy Thomas adapted. Uh, the original story, and again, I have to say it because Roy Thomas is good at it, didn't change all that much as far as uh, the basicness of it, but the original story is about a modern man who basically, almost kind of like Star of the Slayer, uh, when he sleeps, he basically enters the body of a barbarian. Oh, okay. It's a everyday, uh, his name is James Allison, and when he sleeps, he turns into, uh, let me see if I can pronounce this, we keep talking about that, Gudrun of Asgard. Ah. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of told through the perspective of a modern man experiencing this. Like, he's not really in full control of his body, it doesn't seem like. And again, it kind of plays on, there's a few reoccurring themes for Robert E. Howard of, you know, modern man versus, uh, I guess you would say, ancient man and things like that. This one definitely plays into those. So, now the basic story is, again, Conan and Jenna traveling. They come across a tribe of basically like nonverbal cavemen that just speak in grunts and a different language. Uh, Conan picks it up rather quickly that if, you know, if you don't attack them, they won't attack you. Uh, Of course, Jenna gets kidnapped by this uh, giant gray black being with wings, kind of like the uh, devil wings over Shadazar. Right. Uh, The tribe basically tells him to brush it off, forget about her. And of course he doesn't, and he travels to find this huge valley of, uh, you know, again, another tower. Ever since you pointed that out, (laughs) I can't believe I never picked it up. Another giant green tower that he has to scale to get to the top. That's right. Um, At the bottom of the tower, there were the flowers. Exactly, yeah. These carnivorous flowers. Uh, He sees this strange winged being throwing, like, members, a member of that tribe down into into these flowers that basically eat him. And I wonder if this is sort of like the the sacrifice, like with the giant bat, is kind of a similar mm-hmm. situation where they sacrifice people to, in this case, to these flowers. But yeah, Conan is at the base and he's tasked with an impossible situation. It's does do does he face uh, running into the flowers, the carnivorous flowers, and possibly getting Which eaten he, alive? Which I think he does enter them briefly, but then that's a real quick uh, lesson learned. Yeah. Uh, or or does he uh, does he just let Jenna fall to her death? Like what's what's going to happen here? He doesn't know doesn't know what to do. Yeah, uh, I mean we kind of know what ultimately he's going to do. 
because like we've said he has uh, his morals well he, he's got to find a workaround yep which is of course climbing well, first of all, he gets rid of the flowers. I love this this idea that he he uses the giant um, woolly mammoths that are nearby in order to trample the the flowers so that it creates a path for him to walk safely. And so, yep, because he yeah. figured out that the flowers uh, wouldn't be able to touch a woolly mammoth. Yeah, and then he scales yeah, scales the tower as usual, gets up there, and we have another big battle. It's the the strange thing about Conan is it's strangely formulaic almost every single yeah. time, but it's still just different enough that it keeps me interested. It pulls you in. Yep. You know, I uh, I'm also a big fan of Punisher, and I realize the reoccurring theme kind of like between the two of them is that it's they get put in these situations where you do think like this very well could be it for them. Yet they somehow prevail. Yeah, it's kind of too bad because, like Conan, especially since it's his title, you, you he's never in any real danger because you know he's going to be back in the yeah. next issue. <laughs> well, of course. Yeah, the thing in the original uh, Garden of Fear story that I loved is after the giant, I don't know, gargoyle demon thing is defeated. Yeah. Uh, the character in the original story is kind of saying how. How much he's like wants to explore this thing's tower and basically learn history and try to like pull some of this history and yet the barbarian body he's in just doesn't care. The oh. barbarian body he's in just wants to save save this woman and go back to that tribe. Interesting. So there's like an internal mental struggle. Yep. yep. That's that's neat. That's a good concept. Yeah, and I can see why they wouldn't do that in Conan. That just doesn't work. Sure. He wouldn't have any interest in that. Wow. Yeah. So one one panel that I really love in this issue is on page, uh, it's 186 in the Epic Collection, but these pages are unnumbered, so I don't know. But it's when Conan dives into the water. Mm-hmm. He's just past the woolly mammoths and he's he dove into the water. And I love the coloring and I love the little shadows they put on, on Conan here. Oh, yeah. Just, uh, it, it, it looks very, very nice. And it's different. It's just different from the rest of the scenery, all of the underwater uh, plant life and everything. It's very cool. And it's just a silent yeah. panel as well. I find that Roy and and Barry are finding ways to stick in at least one page of just pantomime in all of these issues mm. somewhere. So in the last issue, it was him uh, scaling the wall. Yeah, he's swimming and then and then... You know, knocking out some guards and coming through a fi- uh, yeah. the the it's on page seven of that issue, and in this one it's this swimming underwater and approaching the tower, and I like it. I think it's just like it, it shows that Conan is just in battle mode. He knows exactly what he needs to do. He doesn't even need to think. Of course, we never hear yep. his inter- internal monologue as well. But the narrator also doesn't need to tell us what Conan is thinking. Because he's just, he knows what he's doing, he's just, he's just doing it. By this point, we, we should know as the reader. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, I he like is goal-focused. Okay, well, let's keep on going over to issue number 10. Beware the Wrath of Anu. Again, we have uh, our team of uh, Thomas Smith and Busema. At this time, they're getting uh, pretty settled into having Busema as a kind of a regular either inker or embellisher. Yeah, which I'm a fan of. Yeah. Um, we have a cover here that has uh, artwork from Barry Windsor Smith as the main image, but then we have a little bit at the bottom with Cull the Conqueror, and that bit is drawn by Marie Severin. There are actually two short stories in Conan the Barbarian number 10 that are not in this epic collection because they don't actually have to do with Conan. One of them is a, a Black Knight story, and the other is the King Cull <laughs> story. So I'm sure if there is a Black Knight collection on the horizon... Um, that uh, it'll be included in there, and then, yeah, the the King Cull story. They'll probably they'll probably save that for a King Cull collection. Now that would be cool. But yeah, that's interesting. Must be a double size issue though, because that's the story itself is twenty three pages. Yeah, I mean, I know that these were supposed to be oversized issues. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so Conan and Jenna are still on the road, and they have come up to Corinthian City, uh, the, this, uh, the great Corinthian city-state. And uh, they are trying to, um, they're just trying to get into the city. They're, 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 they are posing as trappers, which I think is a great little cover here. And so they have a whole bunch of furs, yeah. and, and they want to try and get into cell. And we're going to meet a character um, who is another thief, just like Conan, 
and we're going to meet a pair of them actually, and they're going to be important players over the next couple of issues. And I forgot to write down these guys' names. What is this? Here? No, Nabon, Nabonidus. Yeah, it's again one of those pronunciations. Go, oh, uh, Gundermin, which is actually kind of like a a land in the high Hyborian age. Gundermin and Igon are the two thieves. Right. Yes. Yeah, Gunderman, That's right. There are uh, there's a lot going on here in this issue because we have uh, a couple of new characters to introduce ourselves, and then we have the relationship between them and Conan, and then a different relationship between them and Jenna, and like what's mm-hmm. their agenda, and can we trust them? And then they get into this temple where they're they're and they meet um, this giant bull creature. Yeah. who's like just an apparition. But that kind of sets up what's going to happen a little bit later um, because the apparition becomes reality. Um, but I love the whole, just it, this one is a very relational issue, talking about these new characters. And Conan eventually comes to consider them brothers almost. And and then Gunderman at the very end gets caught and gets sentenced to death. Yes, they're in a very strict city where it's like they know there are thieves running around, but if you get caught... That's it. That's it. And so he tries to go save Gunderman and it doesn't work. He doesn't get there in time and he just gets he gets hanged. And so I was quite surprised at that scene. It was a very, very well done scene. You can yeah. see Conan's emotion, even though this yes. is a guy he just met. And the whole thing is bathed in blue. And I thought it was quite well, well done. Um, this was a really good issue. Yeah, surprisingly enough, this one is pretty much just freely adapted from uh, by Roy Thomas because this is uh, the first part of a two-parter with Rogues in the House. And again, not to jump forward, but the whole uh, new story was like a very brief, just cliff note in the original Rogues in the House story by Robert E. Howard. Oh, okay. And I read something that Roy Thomas said... uh, you know, I saw that and it seemed like there could be a whole story told within that. Totally. Yeah. Which I'm glad he did because, yeah, this is a great issue. And it does, you have a very good point. This is kind of where, uh, well, not kind of, this is where Conan and Jenna's relationship starts uh, forming cracks, mm-hmm. to say the least, because she kind of uh, teams up with the other thief, Igon. Whereas uh, Conan and Gunderman are pretty obsessed with, uh, you know, thieving and robbing the city. Jenna and Igon are kind of forming a whole relationship on the side. Yeah, and you don't know for if there's something devious going on underneath that because Jenna always has her own agenda. Uh, mm-hmm. And so why is she turning on Conan? As soon as he's not useful, she kind of goes off to somebody else. Yep. Um, but yeah, this this giant bull guy is uh, is very cool as well. The giant the very bull much. of heaven, I think it's called. Yeah, and again, here's Conan, such a thing I love, you know, Conan, a guy with a sword fighting a giant bull god. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and he wins. <laughs> well, I mean, of sort course. Of. Yeah. He, um, I, I love on the second to last page here, there's the top row as Conan is about to slay the the priest who called forth the bull in the first place. Mm-hmm. And you have a, the whole top row is these vertical panels and the coloring goes yes. from yellow to orange to red as he does the deed. And it's just, you can see the anger building in him based on the color that they use in those panels. Very, very well done. Yep. I, I love it. I know this one was one that uh, was a big problem with the Comics Code Authority. Yes. Because, you know, obviously they kind of wanted to, I think Thomas and Smith were, they wanted to show Conan kind of uh, avenging his new friend by beheading this priest. And obviously the Comics Code Authority is not going to be able to let you show a beheading. They do show that what uh, one panel kind of where you get the idea a little bit after it of uh, you see like the chin kind of in the corner of a panel. Yeah. And then also uh, an interesting note that I read about Roy Thomas said about is how the Comics Code Authority uh, demanded that something happened to Conan, like he because he killed a person in this so brutally that they needed to make sure that he was punished. Right. And so that actually is why it leads into the next one. Well, so another bonus feature in this epic collection is the original art for the last panel. Where, where Conan is standing beside his uh, sword, which is in the is in, in the mm-hmm. dirt, they change the dialogue in this in this panel. Yes. So I'll read the the original dialogue here. It says, 
Then a fleeting moment of peace over a freshly, dug, a freshly dug grave, as darkness above is matched by the darkness within, a darkness as black and brooding as the high windy hills of Samaria. So that's Conan. He's buried his friend, and he's got no remorse for what he did. He's just, he's angry. He's still angry about it. But then the new dialogue says this, Yet no river of blood can wash away the ache and emptiness which hovers at Conan's shoulder, and no dungeon which looms in Conan's unglimpsed future can ever reave his barbarian's heart like the death of a friend betrayed. So in this version, in the new version, Conan has guilt over this whole situation. He, yeah. So they had to change that so that it, Conan had some sort of actual feeling he's feeling pain about what happened yeah it goes to what i said in the previous episode of how it's those little things that do make conan different in these comics than in the original stories even right you know because like that character typically would never ever show any type of guilt like that yeah that's true it would be uh you know you killed my friend now it's yeah who i'm going to go after anyone that was even closer to responsible yeah, and so he kind of does do that still, though, because now he's going after Jenna and yep. Igon. Yes, because it is uh, revealed that Jenna and Igon kind of uh, sold them out to the priest uh, and to the city guard. Uh, yeah, and we don't know that right away. So at the beginning of this next issue, issue number 11, Rogues in the House, um, we the, the splash page is, a, is great. It's just the classic put you in the middle of the scene. Conan is in chains in a dungeon. There's a torturer there. And like, how did Conan get to this place? Well, let's do a flashback to tell the story. And yeah. he's with Jenna. Looks like there's a little bit of lovemaking going on, some barbarian lovemaking. As usual. Yeah. <laughs> and Conan is attacked by all of these guards. And why is he attacked by guards? We don't exactly know. He's being, but we we find out that he's being framed. And so when she says that line, you swore not to hurt him. Right. That right there. And Conan is just There's awake all... enough that he heard that. Yep. Because she poisoned his drink or, you know, puts a, drugged his drink, I should say. Right. Yes. So this is great because now Conan has time to think and he's in this, uh, in this jail cell. And you can just get the sense that he's coming up with his plan, not only to escape, but how to get his revenge uh, the entire time. And this guy visits him in jail and says, I need you, I can free you, but I need you to do something for me. I need you to kill the uh, the red priest, the head of the priest mm -hmm. in the city. So that's going to be kind of the basis of our story here, except um, Conan's going to kind of go rogue and do his own thing for a little while, and he takes out um, Igon. Did you... Uh... Did you say that on purpose? Rogue. Rogue. Rogues in the house. <laughs> that's right. Well, I didn't do it on purpose, but now that I said it, yeah, that's exactly why it's called Rogues in the House. I yep. Know. Yep. And man, a brutal, um, brutal ending, not ending, but brutal thing. He, he takes uh, Jenna and just throws her off a balcony <laughs> into the... Yep. Um, throws her into basically like a sewer. Yeah. And she swears her revenge, and so... That's not going to be the last of her. Yep. And that's, again, pretty much directly from, because, I again, it should be noted, this is, like I said previously, directly adapted from Rogues in the House story. Uh, just a little bit, an extended version of it. And that scene is pretty much straight from Rogues in the House. It's, again, not Jenna, but a different woman who sold Conan out to the uh, city guard. And he does the exact same thing. He breaks out of jail, goes and kills the guy that she's with. In this case, it's Igon. Uh, and then just kind of throws her into a sewer and laughs at her. Yeah, pretty brutal. Now, this this issue is broken into two parts, which is unusual. They don't usually do this. Mm -hmm. But we get part one, uh, which was that that part, and then now we move into part two, which is called The Talons of Thak, and Conan is going to actually go about the actual mission that he was supposed to do when he was broken out of the jail cell. And uh, he's going to do that, but he's gonna he's gonna face this. He finds uh, he enters the the throne room and finds that the red priest is actually a giant ape creature, ape man is of ape some man? sort. Yeah. yeah, which uh, this one always this this is always like, the original story even kind of creeps me out. It's just yeah, and the way they that Barry Winter Smith draws Thack is I love it. 
when he first gets revealed. Oh yeah, it's totally great. It's and he's big and menacing, and it's like the ape looks a little crazed. The this whole story is kind of odd as well because like the the ape is. is a creature who is kept in a cage. We don't really know the origin of of why he's there. Uh, he was taken by the original Red Priest. Which actually, I said his name earlier. That's and it's a weird one, Nabon Nabonidus. Uh, he was discovered as like a young ape and taken in and kind of taught his ways. And I guess one day he decided to you know attack his uh, master and dress like him. Yeah. I feel like there's a little bit of um, shades of um, oh man, how come I can't remember the the ape in DC who has, uh, who has a Gorilla Grodd? Yeah, Gorilla Grodd. Yeah, that's it. I feel like there's a little bit of Gorilla Grodd in him, just because he is trying to be human in a sense. Oh yes, yes, yeah, I get it. I mean, he doesn't have the same intelligence as Gorilla Grodd, yeah. but um, still, it's a giant ape. I, there's there's a few parallels there. I don't know. Maybe I'm stretching it. No, no, I can see that. Yeah, it's this whole thing. Uh, it's I, I do again love this story. It's this whole kind of uh, political type thing where again, like you said, Conan's hired to kill this red priest because he's unofficially running this town, and the was it the prince is the person who hired Conan to break him out and kill the red priest so that he's you know stays out of politics and things like that, and. Uh, when Conan gets there, the prince is already there because he thought Conan wasn't going to make it. And it turns into this very odd story where the red priest, his house is just full of booby traps. Okay. And yeah, that's right. I love it. Yeah. Like mirrors and things. So that, cause they're in a dungeon, the three of them are trapped in the dungeon and they're able to watch Thack through all this elaborate mirror setup that the red priest has. It's interesting because it's almost like a like a camera system, and even Conan's like a little bit taken aback by it. We have um, another another uh, pantomime page in this story here on page twenty six of this story, but it's not with Conan; it's with Thak. In fact, it's almost two. It's almost three pantomime pages, which makes sense because Thak doesn't talk, and he's fighting this mm-hmm. Black Panther. Yes, great scene. Yeah, really great. And again, very almost, I don't know, almost disturbing because again, he's trying to mimic what he has seen his master do by just petting this, you know, panther that he has chained up. And of course, the panther bites him, and it goes into this fight between the two that ends with Thack kind of just jumping on him and snapping necks. And yeah, it's it, I don't know, that's always weird to me. It's great. It, it's yeah. uh... I think it shows it just shows the uh, what the lengths that Conan will go to. Yes. There's the one panel on page 31 of this issue where the ape is squeezing Conan, and there's a close mm-hmm. up of his face, and you can see the drips of sweat, and it just looks like he's yes he's about to he's about to pass out, but he manages uh, um, to to yes. well with the help of his friend, uh, the guy who brought him out of prison. What is his name? Morello. Yeah, Merlo. Marillo, yeah, Marillo. Marillo helps him out, and uh, then Conan's able to strike his death blow and uh, and save the day. Yeah, it's a great fight between Conan and Thak because again, it goes to what I said previously, where it is like, how how is Conan gonna defeat this one? Yeah, and they even talk about how many times he has stabbed Thak, and you know, it's not doing anything. But again, and then at the very end, even Conan kind of uh, feels some pity for killing him. You know, he says, I have slain a man today, not a beast. Yeah, I think he definitely is settling into the, or Roy at least, is settling into this type of character for Conan. And he's always been a very noble character. Mm-hmm. So I think that's not out of character. Well, again, but, he's, yeah. he's a man that follows his own principles. Now, I think that this priest's name is pronounced Nabonidus. Nabonidus. Because I think it's, um, I think there's a lot of kind of Greek parallels to the city that they're in here and so to give it that kind of greek sound nabonidus maybe is that makes sense for it and of course the red priest uh, betrayed them at the end even though they all promised not to and gonna just throws a sword at him i know <laughs> that's that <laughs> uh after the last betrayal i he doesn't handle betrayals very well anymore does he nope that's okay he just chucks a sword at him and that's that and yep. walks away and that leads us into conan number 12 uh, this is a cover, the cover drawn by Gil Kane. So that's that's interesting. 
this issue is notable because Barry Smith is the inker. He does all of the art for this. So he hasn't done that, I think, since the first issue. And boy, has his style changed uh, yes. in terms of inking. He just uses way more of a, he uses a really thin brush. He goes for a lot of um, wispy, thin, wispy details in like on the face, face structures and muscle, muscle structure and such. And his, all of, a lot of his backgrounds um, have a lot of intricate shading. I mean, I, I'm guessing that this is probably taking this him a long time. That, this is when they're, where obviously Conan and Jen, Jen is gone. He shows up uh, in a new city where he's just trying to get a simple drink of water. And uh, of course, as we've seen a reoccurring theme, uh, some city guards kind of attack him, tell him that you know desert rats can't drink from this water. Right. So he kills one of the guards. Uh, he gets overwhelmed eventually and taken prisoner. And he's taken to the queen. And this is a mm-hmm. this is an interesting queen. She because she instantly, of course, you know, makes love to Conan like everybody does. Yep. Like we said in the previous episode, every woman that he encounters is magnetically drawn to him. That's right. But then he also meets kind of her uh, assistant, and mm-hmm. what's her name? Uh, Yela. So yes. F- Fatima is the queen, and Yela is the servant. And he sort of he feels something for the for the servant, but the queen is like, "No, you can't have any other woman except for me." And of mm-hmm. course, because she's the queen, and she locks him up in jail, and or, or this this sewer it locks him and the servant into this sewer thing where they're chained to the walls and this is a great scene i absolutely love this scene here where conan has to use all of his strength to rip the chains out of the walls uh, while he's still in shackles and it does incredible damage to his Mm -hmm. wrists which they can't show in as much detail as i think they probably should have because of the comic code but yeah uh he manages to do that and just uh I love the dialogue along with Barry Smith's incredible artwork show the the amount of force that he is yes. he's, he's putting on himself in order to free himself from these from the wall. Oh, it is a very brutal scene. Yeah, it's a uh, it's one of those I feel like it's one of the standout scenes in this entire book. Um so it just yeah. gets burned into your memory there. And then to make matters worse, he gets to fight a giant octopus. <laughs> <laughs> the dweller in the dark. The dweller in the dark. Um, what a great design on this octopus as well, because it's it's flesh colored, and so it mm-hmm. looks like it's got kind of a human type of head, and but it's definitely an octopus. Like it has these tentacles with suckers and on them and such, and he just has to battle this this thing for the next like few pages or whatever. Uh, and then the best part in the end is that Conan manages to kill that uh not kill the thing but manages to escape the thing and climb up and he saves the the slave girl who's with him and they climb out of this pit where yeah he's destroying his back doing that yeah yeah so he's just in tremendous pain then he grabs the queen and throws her in the pit where she chucks her right into it (laughs) it gets eaten by uh by the dweller in the dark i love it it's just in the classic dialogue where she says something about how he wouldn't ever kill a female or a woman, and he says, "Oh, well, I'm not going. I'm not going to be one that kills you." Yeah, the dweller in the dark is. That's right. And that page, I think, or that panel, when the dweller in the dark is holding the queen. Oh, totally. That one I love. Yeah, and he's like the sword. Conan's sword is sticking out of his eyeball and such. Yeah, mm-hmm. great stuff. It's like you said, the fact that they made him flesh colored is kind of makes that one even again more disturbing. I think so too, because it's like. And they do talk person. about that it was supposed to be a person. Yeah, but we don't know what happened or anything. It's just these massive monstrous creature now. Yeah, yeah. there's some sort of magic, I would assume. And I really like at the end as well because it gives us another glimpse into the type of person that Conan is. He's he's very much a person that is uh, he goes for justice and uh, and stands up for the downtrodden. And so when he he's like, well, I, he can't he can't be the king because this city doesn't have kings, only queens. And so, but he killed the queen, so he gets to name yeah. her successor, and he chooses the slave girl, Yela. Uh, and so they accept her as the new queen. Yeah, he hints that maybe this is the dream he had back in issue one. Yeah, right. he refers back to that, like I'm supposed to be a king. Why not here? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. he makes the reference to King Conan. 
but yeah, I just love this ending. I think it's great. This whole issue was really, really good. Oh yeah, how he turns to fight the crowd after he gets out of the, you know, after he throws her into the dweller in the dark and expecting more of a fight and everyone just starts cheering him. Yeah, nobody really liked that queen after all. And they're yeah, like, we to... all wanted to do that. <laughs> and, and and now you get a really a real sense that Conan made a huge difference and this city is mm-hmm. going to be better off for it. And then he just leaves. He just turns and walks out the door and he's like, I'm done. Again, here. you can see how much damage he took yeah, at the end of totally, that. You could, totally red. Yeah, you see like almost like a trail of blood being left behind him. At least in the version I have. Yeah, definitely. Okay, and then we have a bonus story at the end of this issue, and it's called, they call it the Tales of the Hyborian Age, and this reminds me of, like, the backup features in Thor would always be Tales of Asgard. Yes. And they would feature characters or young, younger versions of the characters or people that we don't re- normally know about about the past, just to flesh out the world a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and this story is... Uh, written by Roy Thomas, but drawn by Gil Kane. And it says, embellished yes. by diverse hands, which means that there were a lot of inkers on this one. Too many to list here. I wonder why that is. Uh, my guess is that um, they were down to a deadline, and they and so oh. Gil Kane rushed out the pages, which is why um, he it, he's not list he's listed as the artist, but these guys are embellishing. So Gil Kane that means Gil Kane's just doing kind of the breakdowns and such. So he rushed out this story, and then sent it to they and then Stan is the editor, so he he sent it out gotcha. to like a bunch of different artists, probably a different one for every page, so that it'll all be inked mm. in one day, because they they had a tight turnaround. That's my guess. That would make sense. Yeah. Uh, this story is notable because we get to see Gil Kane and Roy Thomas in the first panel. Mm-hmm. Which again, just an odd way to open it up for me. Yeah, I don't know why they would do that. It is very strange. There's no reason why they needed to. I mean, I guess this is kind of like in the uh, peak days of the Marvel bullpen. You know, yep. Maybe they're yep. just reestablishing them as characters. Maybe, but why do it here and not with a Conan story? Yeah. And like, of all the people, I mean, yeah, Gil Kane is awesome, but. Shouldn't Barry yeah. Smith be the one to, to appear yeah. in person in his book? But we're met with um this this knight Caligor. What a name. Caligor, yes. He's he's just won a um a joust. And this is interesting to to, to talk about knights in a barbarian book, because I feel like mm-hmm. it's not the right time period. But I mean, when we're talking about, you know, different countries and such, each one of them has their own culture or whatever. So I guess we're in a city yeah. where the culture is is these knights. Yeah. I guess I never really thought about that. Yeah, because we don't really meet knights at all for in, in the no. rest of the book here. It's all kind of people in the same barbarian sort of... I mean, I mean they still have cities and, and whatnot, but, but not yeah. this kind of style, not the Crusades style knights. But anyway, so there's a baron who the the king the king has died and the the baron wants to take control of the estate, but um but Caligor is is in the way, so he kind of tricks Caligor into going to to take care of this giant beast, and um the beast is called the now, High Dragon. Now, do you call it the? I was just about to ask the High Dragon or the or the Hydragon. Yeah, I know. I actually wondered about that as well. It could be Hydragon sounds cooler. Yeah. Um, because it and it also brings out the the word Hydra more, yep. which I think is more important than bringing out the word dragon. So I guess Hydragon is the way to go. Um, so anybody who fights the Hydra, Hydragon never returns, and so Caligor or, or uh, yeah, Caligor has his work cut out for him. This plays like a classic short story from the 1950s where there's a twist yep. ending, like a moral tale. Yeah, because you know Caligar is not exactly a good guy in this story. You know he wins his joust by loosening straps on his opponent's uh, you know horse and kind of uh, has a lot of uh, evil doer kind of internal monologue. And then in the end, he finds out that the person who kills the Hydragon actually becomes the next Hydragon, and so now Caligar is the Hydragon. Yep, Class, like you said, it could fit totally in those like nineteen fifties horror stories kind of things. Yeah, and actually they make a reference to that at the very end. Uh, Roy says, a real gory story, Gil, right out of the old Weird Tales, which was a a comic book from the past. 
So very cool. Yeah. Uh, and nice little thing. I wish that maybe they had done um, a bunch uh, of, uh, of more of these kind of tales of the, of the Hyborian Age. Maybe they'll do some later on. Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't. I do, I online, actually, I'm looking at this online right now, and this story says that the diverse hands are Gil Kane doing page one, Tom Palmer doing pages two, three, six, and seven, and Bernie Wrightson doing pages four and five. Wow. So there you go. What a lineup. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I'm going to have to, actually, that's, that's what I'm going to have to add to the collection because those are too many names that I love contributing yeah. to that. No kidding. It's very cool. It looks good. It's a real sharp-looking issue, a uh, sharp-looking mm-hmm. story. Oh, always a huge fan of Gil Kane. Okay, we can move on to issue number 13, Conan the Barbarian, issue number 13, Web of the Spider God. That's a pretty good title. Story plotted by John Jakes, author of Brack the Barbarian. Can you tell us anything about that? Um, you know, it's <laughs> the funny thing about John Jakes is working in a in a bookstore. He's known for a lot more wholesome stories. Okay. He he's known for a uh, series of stories about the Kent family chronicles, which is basically like set in pioneer times, and it's oh, yeah. almost like a like a Little House on the Prairie type thing. Right. But I guess in the early days, uh, he's one of those authors that was a big fan of uh, Robert E. Howard and tried his hand at writing some barbarian stories. And I don't think he wrote a lot of Brack, maybe only like two volumes, I think. Uh, But Roy Thomas, I remember mentioning that when he got into Conan, he kind of dived into all of the sword and sorcery stuff. Uh, Actually, from what I understand, John Jiggs wrote pretty much this whole issue. Just Roy Thomas kind of adapted it. So one of the bonus features in here is the story plot, like John Jake's original story plot is written out. And mm-hmm. it's basically just a few paragraphs. That's oh, it. okay. Well, then reverse that, I guess. Yeah, it's just a few paragraphs. And then um, Barry took that and turned it into a whole issue and, and Roy scripted that. So that's um, that's the extent of that. But I mean, he did a really, really good job. This is a, a, a really nice issue as well. It really is. Yeah. It, and there's so much variety in it as well, because we start off with a huge battle, which is very, very good. Sal Buscema inking as well, but it, I feel like Sal's inking in this issue is different than what we've seen in the mm-hmm. past. It, I'm not exactly sure um, what he's doing differently, but it doesn't... Maybe it looks more like Barry Windsor himself. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we get a great battle at the beginning, uh, and then this wonderful scene in the desert where Conan is just left for dead, and he is dying of thirst, and he's trying to find water, but there's just mirages, and uh, and I love just the dialogue here. Yeah, it's oddly enough probably my favorite part of the issue. Yeah, because it's like Conan versus the elements. He's fighting something that he literally cannot beat with a sword. And it's a different type of battle. It's one of the first times that uh, that he flat out thinks, like, this is where I'm going to die. Yeah, really good. Then finally, he does end up stumbling upon an actual oasis with a guy there that, that saves his life and um, kind of nurses him back to health. Tells him the story of the uh, many hooded priests of Ohm. Of Ohm the many-legged. <laughs> yes. Gee, I wonder what that could be. <laughs> It's again another classic story of uh, this uh, sect of people worshiping some sort of god that turns out to be a giant animal. That's right. And again, similar similar plot in that uh, you know the these sect of people are kidnapping random females and of course sacrificing them to their god. Yep, and Conan tries to stop him, but then he gets thrown into the pit as well. And then we have a massive battle with a massive spider. Like this is a huge. Spider. This is um a lot of fighting in this issue. Possibly one of the biggest creatures that he's yeah. gone up against. Yeah, that one panel in particular when he uh, first strikes it, like it seems to completely dwarf him. Like he's not even the size of the spider's head. Yeah, like the pincers would uh, would 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 uh, I don't know. You could would grab him like you would grab a a doll or something like yeah. that. Yep. I thought it was uh, to go backwards a little bit. It's a weird Conan connection. I thought it was interesting when he's roaming the desert that he uh, attacks and kills a vulture that's uh, thinking that he's dying. And I remember that scene in the actual Conan movie. Oh, When yeah. Arnold's crucified, he does the exact same thing. Right, that's right. 
but yes, this I think this is is again a great issue with tons of action in this issue. Uh, again, one of those classic scenes where Conan is in the situation that no clue how he's going to win it, but it's just a matter of where he kind of just shuts off all logic and runs on a pure motor function and just starts slicing at this giant spider. Yeah, and then at the very end, he finds the guy who attacked him at the beginning and left him in the desert for dead. And here's another instance of Conan was going to kill him, but then he then a, a you know fiery piece of debris falls on him and kills him instead. So Conan doesn't have to live with that guilt yep. after all. So I think they're they're also purposely crafting these stories for the comic code to make him less of a just yeah. a murderer. Although let's a little bit it, less Conan, of one, yeah. He kind of that's kind of <laughs> what he does. Yep. But man, this is uh... this was this was great. What a fun story in the end. Here. Yeah. Well, again, tons of action where he's escaping this crumbling, you know, tower. Uh, you know, it's the same thing. I'm, I'm looking at the issue in front of me. Another throwback to the Arnold movie where he punches a horse <laughs> towards yeah. the end. This horse is freaking out because there's all this fire around it. So Conan just punches this horse in the face to calm it down. Yeah. Calm down, horse. <laughs> yep. And That's then it kind scene. of this, it looks like he escapes on a burnt. Uh, the horse looks like it's on fire. Yeah, which is why it's freaking out naturally which is one of the more daring escapes mm-hmm. and then him and uh his uh companions from it just kind of pass out in the field afterwards that's right and then the uh the man that took him and obviously is killed and it's uh conan rescuing his daughter yeah it all works out in the end and yep. uh, and then conan again rides off his horse as he does in most of these issues just rides off alone once again yeah just uh Great issue. I found that the back half of this book really, I think, found its footing. Yes. It uh, it, it started off exploring the concepts that, that I think Roy wanted to try, uh, try to accomplish. But then once we hit issue seven or eight, he really knows what he wants to do and he really goes for it. And that's when the yeah. continuity starts, the ongoing stories. And while, yes, like I said, it's formulaic it still has enough different stuff to keep going. And I'm excited to see where volume two takes us because I think that he's going to start um, experimenting with his storytelling even more. Yeah. I think that may have to do with, you know, by this point or by that point, Conan was a huge seller already. The sales were really good. Uh, It was getting great acclaim. You know, they were being able to adapt Robert E. Howard's stories. So it seems like, you know, the higher ups, you know, were probably trusting Roy more, to let him do his own thing, and that's where you're starting to see yeah. him and Barry Windsor Smith both. You know, this one I think is great because the ending of this issue it reminds me of like literally like an old western movie. You're just riding off on his horse. Totally, yeah, it really does. And, and that, you think back how many stories kind of end like that. You know, just another day for our hero type thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, considering this is the last issue, I mean, anyone who read this epic, including you, I take it you haven't read Volume Two yet. I have not. Yeah, I mean, then you're in for a treat because it just keeps getting better. That's great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's a, a, a good solid start. And yeah, so the back half of Barry Windsor Smith's work is going to be collected in the next volume here, which is already out. Now, uh, one note about the epic collection is that it's uh, th- one of the biggest complaints of that is that it's so thin. People hmm. didn't like how it only collected 13 issues, even though a typical epic collection is more like 20 issues. It's like, why is it so I would have never put that together. I own epic collections, but I would have never put that together. Well, when you get this one, uh, you'll notice that it's just, it's like literally half the thickness of a a typical epic collection, which are known Hmm. for being thick collections, like thick books. Yeah, that's kind of the whole point. And then the price point isn't that much different for it being half the size. It's a $35 US cover price. And so people are like, well, what the heck? And part of it is that uh, people call it the Conan tax. Conan books from Marvel are generally more expensive than the normal just because I think uh, they factor in licensing fees or whatever. But I think one of the biggest things is that they wanted to try and collect Barry Smith's work in its own collection, but there's too many issues for one epic collection, so they have to that split it sense. into two, which means we're going to get yeah. two thinner books. That makes sense, because he did uh, he left on issue 15 and then came back at, at 17 or 18. Yeah. 
I think. And then and then last it to 24 or 25 or something like that. So yeah. the next book will have the remainder remainder of the Barry Windsor Smith issues and uh, and then it'll stop and then it'll pick up again. Which the, the I mean the third Conan Marvel collection is already out as well and it's just as thin. Oh, really? So I don't know if they're going to do they're just going to keep doing thin books or what, but that's kind of where we're at with the epic it is collections. Interesting of why they would do that. I, I that's a pretty interesting theory to pay for licensing. I'm just thinking, though, I mean, there are like 275 issues of Conan the Barbarian in the original Marvel yeah. series. So if they're only going to release collections of 13 issues at a time, A, there's going to be a lot of books, and B, it's going to take a long time to get through there. I'd rather them collect them 20 issues at a time and like increase the speed by nearly half. Now, I'm also curious if they have any plans on uh, Savage Sword. Right. Yeah. I mean, we got those in omnibus form, but will there be a paperback edition of those as well? That would be really nice. I'd, I'd that would totally be very nice. pick that up based on what I've read here. You know, it's like uh, I've said, you know, I'm a huge fan of Barry Windsor Smith and especially uh, when he makes his comeback in the, like you said, issues like in the 20s. Uh, anyone who's a fan of his stuff in this, you're going to be even more of a fan of by the end of those. Nice. Having said that, I always think of John Buscema when I think of Conan. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so my mind goes to Savage Sword. That's cool. That's cool. Great. Well, you know what? We are uh, at the end of our episode now, and we've come to uh, a great uh, conclusion that Conan is awesome, or at least I have come to that conclusion reading this. (laughs) (laughs) I I honestly wasn't sure what to expect when I read this. Like I said in the last episode, I'd never picked up an issue of Conan before, and... uh, and so sword and sorcery is not usually my thing. I've never had any interest in like Game of Thrones and anything like that. But this was good. I really enjoyed it. Well, if you ask my opinion, uh, I mean, that's the peak of sword and sword and sorcery right there is Conan. Yeah. So might as well start with the best. I guess so. <laughs> it's a good, a good introduction to the world, to the character, and I'm excited to see what happens next. So... Um, Next week, we will not continue on with more Conan. I'm moving on to uh, something else, but uh, I think we'll have to make sure that not too much time goes by uh, before we revisit Conan the Barbarian again. Uh, Please, I would love to. Okay, Jason, tell us a little bit about your other podcast, and then we'll sign off. Well, again, Whorehound Radio being the main one. As I've said, uh, that's mostly horror movies. I do try to sneak some comic book talk in there, though. Uh, Night of the Comic is the comic book-themed one. If I'm sure if you Google it, uh, it'll be attached to the Night of the Living podcast. Uh, don't be dissuaded by the Patreon. You don't have to be a Patreon to, to listen to it now. But, uh, yeah, if you Google that, you'll be able to find them. And then there's the Night of the Comic Instagram page that I always try to put comic book stuff up on. Perfect. Thanks once again, Jason, for being a part of this. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for having me. And so everybody out there, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and uh, or you can subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can listen to this on YouTube if that is your preference. And uh, yeah, I would love to you to join my Epic Collection Facebook group as well. If you search for Epic Collection Appreciation on Facebook, uh, join that group and join our conversation where we talk about Epic Collections all day every day. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you have a great week, and we will see you next time. 